Well, good evening. Thank you for coming tonight. I know on Good Friday, very often we feel like we have to kind of walk softly and be very quiet and not make eye contact, but I want you to just kind of nudge the person next to you and say, I'm glad to be sitting by you tonight. Say hi to the people around you. Loosen up just a, just a touch. Just a touch. You look good. Tonight, I'll be reading a couple verses from the 19th chapter of the book of Job. And so what I'll do is I'll read these two verses and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from the 19th chapter of the book of Job. Job says, for I know that my redeemer liveth and that he shall, everyone say shall, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth and though after my skin worms destroy this body, he's saying I'm breaking down, entropy is happening, the world is falling apart. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Let's pray, Lord, we welcome you here tonight. We came here on this Friday night not to be entertained, we came here uh, not to hear a gimmicky talk. We came here because we believe that you are the God who is not afraid of the dark. You're the God who enters into our story. You're the God who steps closer to us. And so tonight, Jesus, we reverence your name and we say, Spirit of God, come and speak to us, your people. I pray that I would decrease, that you might increase. I have nothing in my own strength, but Lord, if you'd speak to us tonight, will be just fine. So we say, Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we pray tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. We all know those obnoxious people who borrow the book of Job for all the things it wasn't meant for, you know? <laughs> I told them no pickles. <laughs> yeah, and my, my, and, and, and my, my tire went flat on the way, and like, I'm, I'm sorry that happened, that's an inconvenience, but that's what AAA is for. Like, that does not nominate you for the 2022 Job Award, okay? The people who borrow this and, and kind of turn it into, you know, that's not what the book of Job is for. It's your micro inconvenience does not rise to the level of the book of Job. But for 25 and maybe close to 30 centuries, human beings have been coming back to this text. Why in the world would we come back to a book like Job? There's, there's something I want to suggest to you tonight. Job is sort of an ancient manuscript naming the plight of humankind. Job is a screenplay that uh, covers the deep sadness of the pain that we all carry at different points in our lives. Job is a text of human tragedy. It speaks of tears and laughter. It speaks of hope and despair. Job speaks of prosperity and poverty. It's, it speaks of sunshine and it speaks of storms. And in the beginning, uh, chapter one of the book of Job, it's working for Job, it's beautiful. His crops are flourishing, his herds are abounding, and his family is, is just bursting at the seams, and he's got 10 children, and his wife is healthy and, and vibrant, and, and they've got many people on their staff, and they've got a, a large tract of land. Life is working for Job in chapter one until it isn't working anymore. And in one chapter, everything falls apart for Job. 
In one day, it all came crashing down. He lost his sheep and his oxen. He lost his camels. He lost all his hired staff. He lost all 10 of his children in one day. He lost his home and his business. He lost his quietness of spirit, and he lost something that sort of surprised him, which was the illusion of friendship. He had three really great friends in his life, and in that first chapter, he loses everything in a day. It just can't get any worse for Job. And have you ever had everything fall apart in one day? Have you ever had that unexpected phone call that you, you hoped never would come through? Have you ever had a moment where life was just racing ahead and all of a sudden, boom, all the momentum is stopped? Have you ever had all of the challenge rush in on one day, the unexpected diagnosis, the, the unexpected divorce, the the unexpected death in the family, the disappointment and the disillusionment and the debilitating despair that swept in. It was working until it wasn't. And life switches in an instant. And this is what the book of Job shows us that we all feel deep in our bones. This is why for 25 centuries we keep coming back to this text because when we read this text, something in us says we're getting the truth about the human experience. We tell the story of Job because this is a man who gets it. This is a man who's been there. And some of you in this room tonight, your, your school counselors or your therapists or your nurses or your doctors or your first responders, you're the one that shows up when life falls apart. You're the one that's the first call to the roadside wreck and the body's still in the car. You're the one who has the conversation and you sit with the child who's been through so much and you, you carry that story with them. And this book of Job, is a book that you will get because you live this life too. When we read this text, we feel like we're getting the truth about the human experience. But to add insult to Job's injury, his friends are chatty in the waiting room. Have you ever been in a waiting room that needs to be quiet and someone's filling it up with noise? You think, read the room. I need you to be quiet right now. Shut up, you're not helping the situation. Do you understand what has just happened? And, and Job has three of these friends who come into the waiting room of his misery and they just fill it up with words. They, they're uncomfortable. Have you been around people who are uncomfortable with silence? And they get so nervous and they're trying to help but they just mess it up even more with their endless words. For 18 chapters, Job's friends do this to him. They have all the answers. They're dispensing their cheap platitudes. At the funeral for Job's kids, one of them sidles up next to them and slaps him on the back and says, you know, it's gonna be fine. God just needed more angels in heaven. Have you ever heard anyone say such nonsense? And it just breaks the soul. These are what, uh, this is what his friends are saying and his family farm burned down and he's lost his home in a day and another one comes up. It's only stuff, bro. Can't take it with you. you know, shush, be quiet. So he's lost everything and then he's got people giving him cheap platitudes and quick answers because they're uncomfortable with the silence and they're looking for a quick resolution. For 18 chapters, Job listens to their cheap slogans and their platitudes. But finally in this text, right here in chapter 19, the story pivots, it turns on a hinge, and Job gets his voice back finally. 
In chapter 19, he raises his voice and he speaks up and he silences the madness and he puts his friends in their place and he says, there's a whole lot that I don't know, but I know that my redeemer liveth and at the last day he shall stand upon the earth. I, I, I don't know what's happening. I, I don't know, I, I'm heartbroken about the loss of my children. I'm heartbroken about my wife falling ill. I'm heartbroken about losing our business and, and our home and our, our land. I, I, everything has been unsettled and I don't know much, but there's one thing that I know and I know that my Redeemer liveth and he's going to do something about this in the end. Can you say amen tonight, church? Job gets his voice back. He speaks up. We come to Job because we know that he knows what it is to suffer. And Job is the story of our suffering being carried into the very presence of God. The God who will do something about it. Then you turn to the New Testament. So Job's the Old Testament story. You turn to the New Testament and you hear about John the Beloved. Andrew mentioned him earlier. John the Beloved is Jesus' best friend and we get the, the story that on the last supper night, John is reclining against Jesus' shoulder at the dinner table. Like they're talking, they're, they're bros. John the Beloved is at the foot of the cross on the night that Jesus dies, the Good Friday night, and Jesus looks down at his mother Mary and he says, woman, behold your son. And she says, essentially, John's gonna take care of you. John, take care of my mom. John is tight with Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John races to the tomb on Sunday morning. John is right in the middle of the story and his life was working until it wasn't. John is the New Testament Job in a way where his life falls apart in an instant. And John in his latter years, after Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, John is arrested by the Romans and he's put on a ship and he's shipped out to the island of Patmos and he becomes a political prisoner left to himself, fending for himself. He's gonna die an old man in isolation and John is heartbroken about this, as any of us would be. Because John's a human being and he feels the sting of loss and isolation and he's out there on the island of Patmos and, and all the inscrutable mysteries of, of human existence and the pain and the suffering, like there's no answer to it. It just hurts. And he sees this, this image of the scrolls that are locked up, the scrolls representing human history and all of the suffering and the pain and the wars and the rumors of wars and it's locked up and, and he wonders, is anyone worthy to take the scroll and to open it up? Can anyone unlock these mysteries? Can anyone understand and can anyone frankly turn the tide on this situation? Can anyone change the story? And John is out there and on the island of Patmos all by himself as an old man, he has this vision. And I'll read you the vision in Revelation chapter five. It says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Looks like this prolonged Job story that John is gonna carry to his lonely death. I looked and I wept and I wept because there was no one who could do anything about it. And then the, the vision comes. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, John. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then he says, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Does this sound familiar? The lamb who was slain. We're here on Good Friday night to commemorate, to remember the lamb who was slain. And he saw him in this vision, standing at the center of the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, they sang a new song. You are worthy. 
You are worthy, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain on that cross. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. We're here tonight remembering Job, and we're here tonight remembering John. Their stories go down, down, down into the pit of despair. But we're really, truly here tonight to remember Jesus Christ, whose story goes down, 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 deeper still into the depths of death and hell and the grave. We're here tonight because we remember Jesus as the one who is holed up in the hospital rooms with people who are in despair. We're here tonight because Jesus cares about widows and orphans and their suffering because Jesus suffered himself. We're here tonight to say you alone are worthy, Jesus, because you're the only one who can do something about supply lines that have been broken down in areas where war has torn, uh, torn out and these people are starving to death. Like Jesus cares about the supply lines being opened. We're here tonight to worship Jesus because he's the lamb who carries human suffering into the throne room of God. We're here because he weeps. We're here because he suffered. We're here because he has gone to the very bottom of pain. He's not the God who avoids pain. He's the God who races to it. That's the statement of Good Friday. As a pastor, I've spent the last 17 years going to the front lines of many great stories. There are high highs in the pastoral work and new births in the hospital. You race in and, oh my goodness, this is my baby and look at his cheeks and, and all the beauty and how much did he weigh and tell me what's his middle name and all the celebration and then you bring the baby to church and we dedicate them here and we say, Lord, have your way with this life and then five or seven or 10 years later, we baptize them right over here, like high highs. One of the great privileges of my life is to, to be on the front lines of those moments. And in the pastoral call, just like in all of your lives, there are very low lows. Hospital rooms, deathbed experiences, and people's homes as hospice has been called in and they say, say what you need to say and I'm there sitting by the bedside holding hands and we're praying and we're anointing the, the, the family with oil as this one's getting ready to enter their rest. I remember going to a black forest property. Used to be a beautiful, beautiful home, and then the black forest fire came through and one of our congregants lost everything. And, and it took a couple weeks before they would let everyone back in, but when they finally opened up the gates, we went in and we're standing in the, the ash heap of what used to be their beautiful home where their life, their children were raised and their wedding pictures were burned and everything that was meaningful to them went up in flames. What do you say in those moments? It's like a scroll that's been locked up and the, the inscrutable mysteries. There's just not a lot that I can do or I can say except be present with people. But on Good Friday night, we remember that Jesus Christ is the one who races to the front lines because he has been at that scene himself. Jesus cares about the suffering of the world. Jesus bore the suffering of the world in his own body. And you know what I've seen in those moments? those moments of deep lows, life falling apart, I have seen the most confounding act time and time again. I have seen people literally say, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand on the earth at the latter day. And, I, and I'm just there as a witness to it. I was at that house, the property in Black Forest that had burned down. And the man who'd been there for 30 years, that was his place, he fell on his knees in the ash heap, the rubble of his old place. And he said, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. Yeah. 
and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And he started praising God and lifting his hands and clapping, and I fell on my knees just to be present with him. I couldn't believe that I was seeing this. And friends, life sometimes gets so bad that we don't know a whole lot, but we know one thing. We know one person who's worthy. We know one person who's been to this scene of, of death and devastation and despair on Good Friday night and knows what to do with it. We come and we worship Jesus because he's worthy. Great writers will drop clues along the way. I, I didn't read much growing up except the Bible, and some of you are like, it shows. Yes, it shows. I was a good Christian kid, pastor's kid, just devouring the Bible. Didn't know anything about anything. I'm exaggerating a bit, but I, I, over the last 15 years, I've really loved reading great literature and studying and, and paying attention to what great writers do to tell a story. And great writers will leave you little clues and hints along the way. And they'll, they'll drop little themes and keywords and phrases that they'll want to get stuck in your imagination that they'll circle back to at the end. And a great writer knows how to drop those clues along the way. And I want to introduce you tonight. Please don't ever forget. I want to introduce you to one of the most important words in the Bible. Please don't ever forget that shall is one of the most important words in the entire Bible. Shall. It's everywhere if you read the Bible. And Job's friends are all around us, and the cynicism and the sarcasm and the naysayers and the spectators in the face of human sadness and suffering, and sometimes you have to learn to talk back to him. Job in chapter 19, after 18 chapters of suffering their platitudes and suffering their cheap shortcuts of trying to just fill up the waiting room with words, Job in 19, he says, for I know. <laughs> he shuts them down. He gets his voice back. So I want to give you this word shall. I want you to see in Genesis 49 that it says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. This is Jacob getting ready to die. And he's blessing his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And then you turn to Isaiah chapter 11. And Isaiah, the great eagle-eyed prophet, says, the lion and the lamb shall lie down together. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah is looking at the devastation of the people of God in exile, and he gives them this word, shall. <laughs> shall is coming. It, it, God is going to do something in the end. And he says, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be brought low and every crooked place shall be made straight and every rough place shall be made smooth and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all the earth and all flesh shall see it together. And then Job shows up and says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and he shall stand in the last day upon the earth. They're stirring our our faith for the future. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, you shall see the Son of Man coming in power and great glory. You can, you can take it to the bank. You're gonna see the Romans come in and destroy Jerusalem, and you're gonna see all the devastation wrought upon the earth, but you shall see the Son of Man coming in power and great glory. And then John, at the end of the book, Revelation, he says, there shall be no more curse, and they shall see his face. Saints, can you wait for that day? The world that we're living in. John stirs our imagination. Jesus stirs our imagination. Isaiah stirs our imagination. Job stirs our imagination. There shall be 
no more curse and there shall be no more death and there shall be no more suffering and there shall be no more mourning for the old order of things shall have passed away. Saints, tonight on this Good Friday night, all of us are carrying in stories where there's pain, where there's fear, where there's devastation. We know we have many questions and there are lots of things that we don't know, but tonight with Job and tonight with John and tonight with Jesus, we can say, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. He knows what to do about it. He's raced to the, to the scene of the crime. He's the one who's born death in his own body and he shall stand on the earth at the latter day. Can you say amen tonight, church? Would you stand with me? What do we do in this moment? We call on Jesus. On Good Friday night, we come to the foot of the cross and we say, you alone are worthy. You alone could take the scroll and open its seals. You alone know what to do about death. And so tonight, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to quiet your hearts. And I want you to begin to imagine Jesus on that Good Friday night. Nails in his hands, nails in his feet, crown of thorns on his head. He's been whipped 39 times within an inch of his life. He's been gashed in his side with a spear and blood and water flowed. Jesus is there hanging on the tree, bearing the sin and the death and the suffering of the entire world. Can you see his eyes tonight? Can you hear his cry tonight? Can you see his gaze upon you tonight at the foot of the cross? And friends, would you bring, would you bring your pain to the foot of the cross tonight? Would you bring your sorrow to the foot of the cross tonight? Would you bring the broken relationships to the foot of the cross tonight? Would you bring the ache the devastation, the questions to the foot of the cross tonight. Would you leave them with Jesus? Tonight what I want you to do is just to begin to, to call on his name. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I depend on you. Jesus, I long for you. Jesus, I worship you. You alone are worthy. You alone can fix this. You alone can heal. Jesus, we need you. Church, make it your own prayer tonight. Jesus, we are here because only you can do something about the death and the darkness, and the despair of our world. And so Jesus, tonight, we say you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. Church, would you get your communion elements that you came in with tonight? Be prepared to receive communion. You can open up the the wafer. And Jesus was getting us ready for the future when he gave us this meal. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. Would you break that little wafer in your hand? And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, he says, remember, 
Remember that I'm coming again in glory. Remember that I've conquered the grave. Remember that I've suffered. Remember that I've been there. Remember that I am for you. Tonight, we remember that Jesus is on our side. So Jesus, tonight we receive this bread, your broken body, with great thankfulness. We remember that you are the God who has entered the brokenness of the world. We remember that you're for us. So church, tonight you may receive the bread from Jesus. On the same night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. All the old story is being washed away tonight, church. We all carry sin, we all carry shame, we all carry those memories of the worst moments of our lives and at the table of the Lord, the enemy wants us to remember that but Jesus at, at this moment says, all of that has been washed away. I've given you my broken body and my shed blood for the forgiveness of your sins so I pronounce to you tonight the good news of the gospel. You have been forgiven. Can you say amen tonight, church? You may receive the cup. Now let's sing this song right out of Revelation 5. Let's worship the living Lord Jesus. Only Jesus is worthy. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. And do you wish that you could see it all made? all creation groaning it is is a new creation coming it is and is the glory of the Lord to be light within our midst yes it is and is it good that we remind ourselves of say church come on
lifted his hands on the cross. We lift up our hands. And Father, we worship you. You are worthy. And you were worthy before the cross. And you're worthy because of the cross. And you're worthy because of the resurrection. You're worthy because of the ascension. You're worthy because you're right here with us right now. You're among us. You're in the room with us. You dwell in us and through us above us and below us and all around us. And we're grateful. New Life Church, the cross is proof positive that God does his best miracles on dark days. And on the darkest day in human history, God did his greatest miracle. And I love the message, Pastor Daniel. It doesn't matter how dark your day is. God is a God of miracles. So I want you to take your candles now. This is the uh, most dangerous part of Good Friday. We're about to put open flames into the hands of your children. I was just thinking, every chair in this room we anointed with olive oil in anticipation of you coming. But we did not think through and consider the fact that with all the olive oil smeared all over your chairs, we're about to now give you an open flame. <laughs> so don't touch the chair is the point I'm making. But I want you to hold that candle up and I, maybe your world is not dark. I, we don't assume that everyone's world is falling apart in here. Probably most of you are having a, a great time. But I want you to speak light into the darkness of our world. Maybe your world's great, but if nothing else, speak light into the Ukraine. Speak light into our, our nation. Speak light into our community. As we light our candles tonight, would you just begin to pray the prayers that saints are praying all over the world. The light of the world has come and darkness could not overcome it. As you're holding your candle, we're gonna listen right now to the seven last sayings of Jesus. Would you just give yourself the ability to hear in a fresh new way these powerful seven last sentences, these seven last phrases of our Savior on the cross. Listen with me.
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Woman, here is your son. Here is your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am thirsty. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. those who are sick I have good news tonight it is finished all of you who walked in tonight not knowing if you could be forgiven I have good news for you tonight. it is finished all of you who walked in wondering if the world would ever be made right I have good news tonight it is finished if you believe that would you say amen amen I didn't grow up coming to Good Friday services I've only been doing this for about a, a decade well, what we're about to do, it might be the most, the holiest moment of this weekend. We're gonna snuff out our lights, the room's gonna go a bit dark, and we're gonna walk out here in holy reverence and a bit of sobriety, because Resurrection Sunday will mean a lot more to you if you can capture the sobriety of this moment. The eruption of our celebration and praise will be more authentic and real on Sunday morning here if we will embrace the realities of the cross. So on Sunday morning at eight o'clock, 10 o'clock at noon, we want you to come right back in this room and I want you to come ready for a party. But tonight we walk out of here in darkness, anticipating that the light has come. Amen. So I'm gonna pray over you. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you that you turned our eyes toward the cross. And Lord, with our eyes fixed on the cross, and the goodness of all that happened that, on that dark day. We now extinguish this light, knowing that the resurrection is coming. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. You may extinguish your light and go in the peace of the Lord. And we'll see you on Sunday.